0: Alrighty, we're live again. Welcome to episode three of Unsolved Cases and Suspicious Faces. I'm Izzy. I'm Jackie. How are you doing today? Good. Um, I went to work, so that's, I guess, a blessing
1: right now for me. I know a lot of people are out of work, so I can't super complain. Working shorter hours, and there's not very many of us there, which means my workload has gone up by a lot, but at we're least getting there. At least it's not boring, right? That's true. I'm never just sitting there. Something else to be grateful for, I guess. Yeah.
0: I find that when I have more to do at work, my day goes by way faster.
1: Oh, yeah. No, I blinked this morning and it was 10, but
0: (laughs) I'm still getting up at 6, so. Yeah. Well, I'll try not to keep you too late. That would be (laughs) wonderful. Do you have anything else going on besides work? Not really. I've been napping a lot. <laughs> me too. I love me some naps. It was pretty good. I uh I found a new game that I really enjoy playing. It's called Dauntless on Epic and it's free. And that's all I want to do and it's finals week. Do you see my problem? Focus on your finals. I played the game until like I want to say 10:30 p.m. last night and then I took two tests cuz I've been trying to stay up later. And then this morning I took my math test. And I still have one test to take on Thursday, so tomorrow. Nope, two days from now. I have a four-page paper to write, another four-page paper to write, a discussion, er, excuse me, two discussion posts, and a brief paper that's only two pages long. I, uh, I just, I'm so tired. I want to go to bed, (laughs) but school's almost over, and then I have no obligations, and I can devote 110% 110% to this podcast and to bugging you. Mostly bugging you, let's be honest.
1: 110% sounds great.
0: I know, I really haven't been pulling my weight uh recording, researching, editing, and uploading.
1: No, I'm just happy we finally really got into. I know we've been <laughs> talking about starting this for what years now?
0: For 2 years. I purchased the art for the uh cover and the theme music in December of 20 20- Eighteen, so it's been a year and a half that this podcast. Imagine
1: where we'd be if we had just done it.
0: Yeah but life hit us both in the face and I think right now is the perfect time for us. That's true. I mean I'm really happy with how everything's turned out. I think that we spent the time getting a better mic. It looks like with each week we're figuring out audio more and more. And I've done a lot of research about how to upload and and do all that stuff. So I feel like we're really prepared this time. I agree. So I know last time we talked about how angry I was at my cats for your plants. Yeah. And they knocked over my watering, uh, Mm -hmm. my watering can. And I thought we were getting better. I thought we came to an agreement and we didn't. And I'm very very upset about it so chives kind of look like grass when they're growing in the early stages and I got up this morning and it looked like it had been mowed (laughs) because (laughs) one of my cats (laughs) ate the ends of my chive plants so I was like oh okay but it it looked like somebody mowed it all down to a uniform length and everything and I was like how kind of them I, I I guess apparently they have OCD like I do and they were like this is too much this is too much. We got to fix this. I didn't know cats liked plants. You know, it's weird. I don't think most of them do. I'm not sure because it's just the one that really likes my plants. Mm -hmm. I had an aloe vera plant two years ago, right when we first got him and he just loved to eat that thing and they're bad for cats. So I kept trying to have to hide it until one day he ruined it. And then this time the only plant he's touching is that chives plant. The rest he's leaving alone completely. So I don't know what his issue is. That's funny. Uh, chives are known to have an onion taste. So maybe he just really likes onions and I'm not providing enough of them to him. Just mush them into his cat food. I would, but I want the chives. I don't want to give them my chives. <laughs> maybe it's like a peace offering. Like You can have, you have one. The chives <laughs> and I get the rest of my plant. It's like a decoy plant okay but I want the chives (laughs) that's why I planted them so I could have them not him and then he does stuff like this and then he knows when he's in trouble because he'll be really cute like right now he's napping on his back so his paws and his belly are facing up and it's the most adorable thing so my heart melts but my brain is like no we're angry use your hate use your anger no I think you should just Let him have it. I'm not going to let him have my chives plant. Well, I've done all I can to help you. But I am going to love him and pet his belly because it's soft. And I know that he knows that it's wrong. Like he knows he's going to get in trouble. But he still like says, fuck you, mom. And does it anyway. I swear he's like a teenager. I say never having raised a teenager. Do you have anything else that's going on? Have you started playing magic again? No. Uh, but that hurts my feelings. Have you at least downloaded Magic the Gathering Arena? MTG no. Arena? Oh, but you don't have to go to the card shop. And? It's fun and you can play with me. So do you want me to tell you about a murder now or no? Cause you can I can got- tell
1: me about whatever you want.
0: So, today, I've got a pretty good story for you, and I think it's my turn to go first. No, it's your turn to go first, because you went second last time.
1: It's my turn to go first.
0: I'm sorry. I'm not that sorry. I I don't know if I want to take a step back, because then you can't hear me, but I will say that I'm sorry for overstepping my bounds.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It just so happens that I have an interesting case for you, too. Oh, yeah? Uh, Do you think your case
0: is more interesting than mine? Probably. Probably. (laughs) oh ouch we'll see okay deal
1: I'm going to tell you the story of the murder of Michael Nigg. Michael Nigg was born in Gennison, Colorado. After his graduation from Western State University, he moved to L.A. to try and start an acting or modeling career.
0: You know, that's pretty rare. I don't think a lot of people do that. <laughs> Haven't
1: heard that one before, ever. Um, very hard to, obviously, we know it's very hard to break out into those career paths and get out of the crowd but he was kind of determined to make it so he started you know trying to get acting jobs and stuff and eventually he made it onto an episode of a sitcom called liars
0: liar liar pants on fires hey you'd fit in there
1: mm, i don't know if you've ever heard of that show but this takes place in 1994 oh <laughs> so maybe not but well, I was one. You
0: were not born yet. Let's continue.
1: Well, he was looking for jobs and roles. He worked as a waiter in, um, as a way to make money because he was still trying to live in the city, right?
0: Yeah, you got to make that money to pay rent and buy 19- food,
1: Oop. and buy food—the most important thing.
0: Yes, gotta get you some Jimmy John's.
1: In 1994, he was working as a waiter in a restaurant named Mezzaluna. I think I guess it's like a suburb. It's a town called Brentwood. In the west side of LA. What do they serve at Mezzaluna? I don't know.
0: Uh, pizza. That's not true, but we're going to go with pizza.
1: I don't know what made you think of pizza. I
0: really want pizza.
1: (laughs) Mezzaluna. Well, one of his friends and co-workers was a man named Ronald Goldman. Does that sound familiar to you at all? I'm going to go with no. 1994 LA Goldman. Uh, I feel like I do know this, but at the moment, no. Still no. Okay. Uh Michael Nig worked there, worked at Mezzaluna about a month. Place. Before, yeah. <laughs> about a month before June in nineteen ninety four, when Ronald Goldman, his friend, was murdered with his girlfriend, Nicole Brown Simpson. Oh oj Simpson. Interesting. Yes, very interesting. So while O.J. Simpson was on trial for these murders, Michael Nigg started working at a different restaurant called Sanctuary in Hollywood. So I thought that was kind of ironic that the name of the restaurant was Sanctuary. This bad stuff happened to him.
0: So this was a uh,
1: burger place. It's September 8th of 1995. <laughs> Michael Nigg and his girlfriend, Julie Long, are on their way to a different restaurant in his car. He needed some extra cash, so he decides to stop at a bank real fast and use their ATM, and he withdraws $40. While he's there using the ATM, two men walk up behind him and demand some money. Give me some money. Michael Nigg refused to give them money at all, and they shoot him in the head. And then they walk back to their car and drive away
0: bam all right then let's go on a brisk stroll
1: (laughs) i mean they weren't panicked they didn't like run off or anything so
0: look at how beautiful nature is we didn't just commit a heinous act let's take a walk through the park to get to our parked car right jesus very
1: kind of suspicious thankfully julie long was a couple second well i don't want to say second she stayed in the car behind him And I don't know if they didn't see her or if they didn't care that she was there. But she was able to see the whole interaction and she wasn't hurt at all. Not only that, but the men, it didn't look like the men took anything off the body when they left. So they came up, they demanded some money. The guy said, no, they shoot him. They don't take
0: the money and then they walk back to their car. That's really confusing because if he's got the money they want the money he says no they shoot him they should take the money if that was the motive like if it was robbery they would have robbed him post-mortem very interesting
1: julie goes to the police immediately and the lapd spends that first weekend looking for any leads the night after the shooting the community holds a candlelight vigil as a community it's more like michael nigg's friends they all go and they hold a candlelight vigil for him in the uh, parking lot of his restaurant mickey work was there and he actually he said if anyone knows anything about the shooting just give the cops a call that's good advice uh, it takes about three months after the shooting and the lapd actually arrests three suspects including the alleged getaway driver. So they think they had a driver in the car and the two guys just walked back. That didn't make any sense. (laughs) (laughs) They think there was a getaway driver. And I don't know if that fits into why the guys just walked back to the car. I think it would make sense to run back to the car whether you had a getaway driver or not. But they didn't have to spend that extra time starting the car and shooting off, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. The three people the LAPD arrested were quickly released because LAPD didn't really have any evidence against these guys. Let's talk about the OJ Simpson trial in this case. Hell yeah, let's do it. I'm down. Let's go. I told you that, what was his name? Goldman? Ronald Goldman. (laughs) Yes, Ronald Goldman. (laughs) I remembered That's his first name. First names give me trouble. Obviously, I already said it in the beginning, Ronald Goldman was a friend of Michael Niggs. It came out that Mezzaluna, the restaurant where they both worked, was reportedly a nexus for drug trafficking in Brentwood. Oh, that's not good. Right. Not only that, according to journalists or according to journalist Joseph Bosco, Michael Nigg lived way beyond his apparent means. He drove a Mercedes. And he was living in a luxury condo. But if you'll remember, this guy worked as a waiter and tried to find, like, low-profile acting roles to break his way into the business. So there's no way he would make enough money from being a waiter in those roles to afford a Mercedes in the
0: condo. Maybe he was tipped really well.
1: (laughs) That's, I mean, maybe. (laughs) Nick and Goldman weren't the only Mezzaluna waiters who had... I want to call it strokes of bad luck, but it's a lot worse than that. Two other people went missing, and a different guy had his car destroyed by fire.
0: That's not good.
1: Right. (laughs) So, a lot of not great things happening to people who are working in that restaurant. Let's talk about suspicious faces. Obviously, there's the three men that LAPD arrested. Right. I'm not going to name them because they're alleged, and I think it's pretty rude to just call them out like that when they might not have done it,
0: so I'm not going to say it. I mean, that's fair. That's more than fair.
1: I think that's the way it's supposed to be done. I wouldn't want to be falsely accused of a crime and then have my name plastered everywhere.
0: Well, I mean, we talk about suspects, and I think that's okay. I'll name suspects all day long.
1: That's true. Yeah. Well, we have the three men that LAPD arrested. I didn't write their names down. That's okay. Because I was determined not to do it. But you make a great (laughs) point. (laughs) Should have thought that through more.
0: It's okay. That's why we're here. We are allowed to make mistakes as long as we fix them later.
1: That's true. We have a good idea that it was two, obviously it was two people. It might have been more like three or four But it's the motive that has people the most confused because we have that maybe possible drug involvement. We have that maybe possible just robbery and then the O.J. Simpson angle, which I don't think they're connected. But you see conspiracy theories out there. (laughs) There's a lot of conspiracy theorists out there. I didn't think there would be one for something this small, but...
0: Yeah, there
1: are. I'll tell you, researching this case was harder for me. And the other ones I've done, there's not a lot of articles to read. So I can like pick and choose and go back and read three or four and get a good idea of the case. Yeah. And this one, it's really hard. One, because the OJ Simpson angle of it just like wipes everything else out. There's like two articles I found that even mentioned him at all. And they were from a few days after his murder with like three paragraphs in it. And the rest of it are all blogs. That's (laughs) kind of sad. It is sad. It's very sad. And that's why that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about it because he deserves his own justice, his own. I don't want to say he deserves to be his own victim.
0: But that makes sense. He deserves (laughs) to have some attention on him. He was murdered. It was never solved. He deserves his own feature. Exactly.
1: The police never came out whether or not they have the evidence. Um I imagine they have the bullet. I don't know if there were cameras in the ATM feeds back in 1995. Yeah. It'd be nice, but I think even if there were, probably be pretty grainy. And then we have the eyewitness testimony from Julie Long.
0: Well, hopefully there bad, so Yeah, hopefully there is some evidence that the police aren't letting us know about and hopefully there is hope that one day this case could become solved
1: i hope so it's just in cases like this where there aren't a lot of evidence i feel like most cold cases the chances of it ever getting solved go down again True. i have that hope still in a perfect world it True. would be solved but
0: But, you know, in 1994, they didn't think that DNA was going to be as big as it is. That's why we were able to catch like the East Area Rapist, Golden State Killer. That's why a lot of unsolved cases are being looked at and can be solved. So hopefully in the future, there'll be something we don't even know about today that will help close all of these cases. That would be really cool. I think so. Well, that was that was a good one. Mm hmm. That was the story of the murder of Michael Nig. Do you have any sources you want to let us know about?
1: Yes. Yeah, so I told you the big one was the journalist. I have to flip that.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Was the journalist Joseph Bosco. Mm-hmm. Um talked about how Michael Nig was living outside his means. Uh, Wikipedia was a big one and then I already kind of said it was hard for me to find sources because a lot of it was blogs but they all kind of repeated the same information that Wikipedia and everything had so.
0: Gotcha well that was that was a good case to cover and I hope that one day that that gets solved.
1: It was so interesting to me I just I feel like I talked five minutes I don't feel like I did this case justice I talked like five minutes about it but I mean, there's very only so
0: much you can do, especially if there's not a lot of information. That's true. Hi, everyone. It's Izzy here. And if you didn't know, I'm the one of us that's responsible for editing and uploading our podcast. And I just wanted to let you know about Anchor. It's the easiest way to make a podcast and... Just to clarify, it's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. I like to use it because for me, it just makes everything so simple and easy. And it is the best program that I have found to help upload and find sponsorships and it automatically distributes it for me. There's literally nothing that I have to do in order to get my podcast onto all of the listening sites. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. You can record it right from the app, right from your phone, anywhere. It's convenient, it's easy, and best of all, it's free. All right, so you told us that great story about Michael Nigg, and I have a story for you. Unfortunately, this one is from 1913, so I don't think that there's really any hope of knowing for sure what happened. You really like those older cases, do I, I do, because I think that they're still mysterious, and even though they're older, like I feel okay. like the victims still deserve a little bit of getting their story out there and learning about them. Right. I just, and it helps me sleep better at night knowing that this happened in 1913. (laughs) (laughs) Alrighty, so this is the disappearance of Rudolf Diesel. Do you know who Rudolf Diesel is?
1: I don't think so. It sounds a little familiar, but no.
0: So Rudolf Diesel is the inventor of the diesel engine. Uh Uh-huh. And I'm going to give you some background on that as well, because I think it's important to understand the process that he went through and all of the conflicts with it in order to maybe get a clearer picture of what might have happened. Mm -hmm. To start, let's talk about Rudolf Diesel's early life. He was born in Paris, France on March 18th, 1958 to Bavarian immigrants living in Paris at the time. His father, Theodore, was a bookbinder by trade, but became a leather goods manufacturer after settling in Paris. Mm -hmm. Growing up, his family suffered from financial difficulties, so Rudolf had to work in his father's shop and deliver leather goods using a wheelbarrow. Unfortunately, during his childhood, the outbreak of the Franco-Prussian War meant that his family, as well as many other Germans, were forced to leave. They resettled in London, England... Before the end of the war, however, Rudolf's mother sent him to Osberg to live with his aunt and uncle. He attended school, he was given some scholarships, but he eventually decided that he wanted to become an engineer. So Diesel attended college and was unable to graduate with his class in July of 1878 because he fell ill with typhoid, typhoid fever.
1: That was serious back then. Yeah, it was. I mean, I guess it is still serious now, but. But back
0: then it was a straight up pandemic.
1: Right. I just had to get my typhoid shot like a month ago. Ooh, was it bad? I mean, it was a shot, so. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I almost passed out. Well, you're afraid of needles, too. I thought I was a baby. Yeah, no, the doctor, I didn't tell you about this, but The doctor walked in and he was like, I said, hey, I'm nervous around needles and he completely ignores me and then he's like i haven't done this in a while so this might hurt and i was like excuse me and i put my arm i put my hand over my arm and the doctor right (laughs) wait it gets better and the doctor was like if i don't do it now you have to leave and come back later and i was thinking about it and he just like walks up to me and as i'm thinking about it my hand's still over my arm and I like moved it a little bit and he stuck me. <gasps> what? Yeah.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: And that's like military doctrine. That's for oh. you. I was so mad. I could feel like the heat an inch from my face when I put my hand up to it.
0: Did but you
1: yell? I couldn't. I one of my divisional officers was like
0: right behind me in line. But I was pissed. I would have been too. That's still ridiculous. Military doctor or not, you should still have at least some say in getting a shot, especially if you are afraid of needles, especially if it is something that causes you to pass out. What?
1: Yeah, Yeah, I was mad.
0: Oh, well, I'm sorry. That really sucks. But hey, at least you won't get typhoid typhoid fever now. True. That is a plus (laughs) out of that situation. (laughs) So back to Rudolph Diesel. While he was waiting for his next examination date, he gained practical engineering experience at Sulzer Brothers Machine Works in Winterthur, Switzerland, which, I'm sorry, Switzerland, but I'm never going to go to a place named Winterthur. Why? Because I don't like winter. Why? Because it's cold and I don't like it. Okay, well. You're allowed to not like needles. I'm allowed to not like cold weather.
1: Fine, I guess. You're going to be a <laughs> reasonable about
0: it Oh, oh yeah? Uh-huh. Well, I think you're a meanie. Anyway, Diesel eventually graduated in January of 1880 with the highest academic honors and returned to Paris where he worked with his former professor, Carl von Lind, to design and construct a modern refrigeration and ice plant. Diesel became the director of the plant just a year later. That was two years After he graduated college and he's already the director of a plant, he was doing pretty good. Yeah, he's talented. Sounds like. I don't know anything about engineering. In 1883, Diesel married Martha Flash and he continued to work for Lind and developing many patents. Oh, that made no sense. I'm sorry. My notes are a mess. He developed many patents in Germany and France, which is important if you're an engineer and inventor. And a (laughs) genter. What? An engineer and an inventor. Ingenter. Gotcha. Perfect. So he's an ingenter. In 1980, Diesel moved to Berlin with his wife and children at this point to take over Lynn's corporate research and development department as well as to take over other corporate boards. He was not allowed to use his patents. He developed underland for his own purposes. So unfortunately, he started over, moved away from refrigeration, and he decided to make engines more efficient. So basically, he started working on the diesel engine at this point. Not the diesel engine at this point. He actually first started with steam. And his research into thermal and fuel efficiency led to him building a steam engine using ammonia vapor, which does not sound good. And it wasn't good because during testing, this engine exploded and almost killed him. Wow. Yeah. So strike one, I guess. His research into high compression cylinder pressures tested the strength of iron and steel cylinder heads. During a test, one of them exploded and he was injured. This led to an extended stay in the hospital that lasted several months and through the rest of his life, he was plagued with health and eyesight issues. So this is twice now that an engine he was working on exploded. Okay, I thought you were talking about the ammonia one again. Nope, this is the second one. So strike two, I guess. In... I wonder
1: how many times that happens to you before you're
0: just like, mm, I'm going to do something else. Maybe the engine isn't for me. Well, luckily he didn't do that because he is the inventor, the engender, if you will, of the diesel <laughs> in 1893 diesel published a treatise treaties, treatise
1: izzy i'm gonna be real with you i have no idea
0: <laughs> T-R-E-A-T-I-S-E. t-r-e-a-t-i-s-e you should be talking french to me right now
1: and i'm just mm-hmm.
0: yep <laughs> i have no idea an academic paper a treatise named Theory and Construction of a Rational Heat Engine to Replace the Steam Engine and the Combustion Engines Known Today. Can you tell me what I just said?
1: He's starting to work on the diesel engine.
0: (laughs) Sure. Uh, This treatise formed the basis of his work and invention of the diesel engine. The first successful diesel engine ran in 1897 and is now on display at the German Technical Museum in Munich. Diesel obtained patents for his work in Germany and the U.S., as well as uh, an assortment of other countries. He was inducted into the Automotive Hall of Fame in 1978. So that is a brief breakdown of his career. Are you ready for the murder part? Yeah, let's give it to me. Well, we don't know for sure if this one is murder, but I would like to discuss it when we're done. Okay. Okay. On the evening of September 29th, 1913, Diesel boarded a ship called the SS Dresden in Antwerp to attend a meeting of the Consolidated Diesel Manufacturing Company in London. He ate dinner aboard the ship and then went back to his cabin at about 10 p.m. He asked to receive a wake-up call the following morning at 6.15 a.m., but he was never seen alive again. Okay, In the morning, and the following morning, you know the morning time. His bed was not slept in, but his nightshirt was laid out and his watch had been left where it could be seen from the bed. His hat and overcoat were found neatly tucked away under the after deck railing. He's still married at this point, right? Yes, he's still married. He still got a good family life, all this stuff, but he went to bed and disappeared. So they're on separate beds? No, his wife isn't with him. His family's not with him. Oh, oh. It's just them going to, it's just him, excuse me, going to London for business. Okay, I thought it was everybody. Just kidding. (laughs) Uh, Ten days later, a corpse was discovered floating in the North Sea near Norway. The body was in such an advanced state of decomposition that it was unrecognizable. The crew that found it took all personal items, a pill case, wallet, ID card, pocket knife, and eyeglass case from the clothing and just returned the body to the sea. What? yeah. What? <laughs> yep. These items Can are- you
1: imagine? Oh, there's a dead body. He's got a watch. Get him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, this will be enough. We don't need to look at the body and determine what happened. And um, they
1: knew it was that guy just based
0: on the on his like glasses and stuff they pulled off him. Well, these items were later identified as belonging to Diesel by his son Eugene. Oh, I guess you said he had an ID too, right? Right. But I don't know if it was like a photo ID or what it was, because Um, I did some research. I'm just reminding you that they found his body 10 days after he disappeared.
1: Right. No, I don't need that mental image. Thanks.
0: And it was in an advanced state of decomposition. But as it turns out, bodies typically decompose slower in the sea, especially in cold waters like the North Sea near Norway, Bodies have been found almost completely intact after several weeks and as a recognizable skeleton after five years. So bodies typically don't decompose quickly at all in the ocean, especially well, in cold oceans. How
1: far away is London and Norway, though? Because he had to be transported there for them to, unless you think they just...
0: No, no, he was found floating off the coast of Norway. Well, not off the coast, but near Norway in the North Sea.
1: Right. You said he took a trip to London.
0: Right, but from Antwerp.
1: I'm confused. Northern
0: Europe. We're talking about Northern Europe.
1: So he goes
0: to London from Antwerp. He never made it to London. Oh.
1: Yeah. That's his final destination. He stopped in a hotel. No. And then
0: his... (laughs) Okay. He (laughs) boarded a ship called the SS Dresden in Antwerp. He... The ship took off. He had dinner. And then went back to his bed in the morning. And then he
1: was missing. Okay, okay. Out.
0: He so he went missing at sea. Got it. Does that make more sense?
1: Yes. <laughs> feel stupid.
0: You should we're feel good. Stupid. I probably just didn't <laughs> explain
1: it right. I think maybe my brain just
0: skipped a little bit <laughs> when you were. Your brain stuttered. About it. <laughs> it's maybe, fine. Since I'm the older sibling, you just tune out my voice sometimes. Probably. It's a condition of growing up with me you're just like she's talking wah. it sounded like a uh, a teacher from the or an adult from the peanuts wah, 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 wah. <laughs> that's all you heard it's okay you can tell me so there are two competing theories about what happened the first theory that I don't agree with let me clarify is that Rudolph Diesel committed suicide the argument for this is that he did have financial issues he was a better and then he was an <laughs> investor. <laughs> uh, there's a report that he gave his wife a bag with instructions not to open until a week after his voyage that contained 220,000 German marks, which is the equivalent of $1.2 million dollars today. and a wow. number of, yeah. and a number of financial statements indicating that their bank accounts are virtually empty. In a diary Diesel brought with him, there was a cross on the date he boarded the ship, possibly indicating the day he intended to take his own life. Mm -hmm. But that, of course, has never been corroborated since he had been possibly murdered. Another theory, and the one that I believe, is that he was killed by the German government because he refused to keep the diesel engine a German secret and was on his way to make a deal with the British Royal Navy to put the diesel engine in their submarines.
1: You're talking conspiracy theories.
0: I am, but I actually believe this one because, first of all, if you have financial troubles, why would you have $1.2 million lying around to give to your wife? Well, you said their bank accounts were empty. Maybe he... Right, he emptied everything. But if he had one point two million dollars that he could just gather, that tells me that you know he probably didn't have as severe um, financial issues as everyone was led to believe. The second, well, wait, thing... wait, 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 now
1: you said it was one point two
0: million in today's money, right? So it was probably a lot less back then. Okay, but it's the equivalent of having one point two million dollars today. It was two hundred twenty or two yeah 220,000 German marks which is the same as 1.2 million dollars mm-hmm. in today's cash to continue on this he was on his way to make a very big deal with the German or the uh, British Navy where they would buy his parts which would of course increase his profit and he was getting ready to build another diesel manufacturing company in London which doesn't strike me as something you would do if your company was going under does that make yeah. sense yeah, and this was, what, right after World War II? No, this was in 1913, so uh, shortly before World War I. Okay, I meant World War I. <laughs> gotcha.
1: Listen to what I mean, not what I
0: But while this is going on, Germans were, the German government was developing U-boats, which would be a devastating force in World War I and World War II, and they <laughs> primarily used the diesel engine because they allowed submarines to go farther, faster, and more efficiently. So that's why I believe that there is a a lot to be said for the conspiracy theory that he was killed to keep the secrets from falling into the British Navy. But those, those are the two theories. And I mean, the reason that I think it's a little suspicious is because bodies don't decompose that quick in cold water. So the fact that he was unable to be recognized was suspicious. And I also think the fact that they just threw his body overboard, it could have been something like he was taken out by a government agent and they just found a body and put his stuff on it. Um, I just think there's a lot that hasn't been answered to rule it as a suicide. Does that make sense? No, it does. And that's where I stand on that. And that was the story of the mysterious disappearance of Rudolph Diesel, the ingenter that developed the diesel engine. The sources that I used were history.com, an article by Jennifer Latson on time.com, an article by Danny Lewis on smithsonianmag.com, and of course Wikipedia. I did find the info on how fast bodies decompose on sciencefocus.com uh Uh, that's gonna be in my search history forever (laughs) so at least you didn't do it at work at least i didn't do it at work that's true (laughs) at least i didn't do it at work for the u.s government too (laughs) so what do you believe happened jackie what do you think
1: man i don't know i could go both ways on this honestly um leaving i guess He didn't really leave a note, like a suicide note for his wife. But he did leave money, which maybe he was trying to take care of her after their death. He
0: allegedly left money.
1: Allegedly. Yes. But it sounds like from what you were saying about the German government, that they had a lot to lose by him selling his invention to other governments. So I,
0: I could go both ways. I don't know. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. Thank you. I uh, I had a lot of fun researching it. And I know that it's old, but it's still kind of interesting that somebody that impacted the modern world so much had a mysterious disappearance. <laughs>
1: yeah, they're still making cars with diesel engines in them. So,
0: yeah. And... Yeah, that's all I have to say. So if you like this episode, please follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at UCSF Podcast. Please send us your stories or any suggestions you'd like us to cover in the future at UCSF Podcast at gmail.com. And please visit us on our website at www.ucsfpodcast.com. And if you enjoy what we're doing here, we are always accepting donations that will go towards getting better audio equipment and allowing us to have more time to work on cases and things like that. And you can, of course, donate through Anchor in the link in our description, or you can donate through our website. And that's all I have to say about that. Do you have anything to add before we go?
1: I don't know. I almost said we'll see you next time, but we really won't.
0: Uh, Tune in next time. Yep.